me again to First Kings as we come to our second study on uh, this great passage. We're dealing with Elijah, the prophets Elijah and Elisha. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 299, First Kings 18, First Kings 18. To give you some idea of the status of the Old Testament and New Testament has uh, for Elijah. Elijah and Elisha are the only two people in the Old Testament that were used to raise someone from the dead till we get to Christ. And then when two people appear with Jesus uh, on the mountain in, when he's transfigured, it's Moses and Elijah, right? And there are only two places where these kind of miracles clustered around Moses and then around Elijah and Elisha. So this is regarded as one of the uh, pivotal, uh, critical, huge times of Israel and the appearance of these two uh, prophets. So now uh, the great confrontation on Mount Carmel in chapter 18. It's preceded by uh, an account of Obadiah's work, and then we come to Mount Carmel. So, beginning chapter 18, verse 1. After many days, that is, many days uh, in the wilderness, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now, the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals, literally not have to kill some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my Lord is not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go, tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I've gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, And Ahab went to meet Elijah. 
when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And by the way, when it says Lord, that is Yahweh, that uh, name for <clears throat> uh, the God of Israel. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Like, yeah, that's a good idea. (laughs) Let's do this. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. He's a God. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation at twilight. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and do it on the burnt offering and on the wood time. And the water ran around the altar. Elijah the prophet came near and with water. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be your word. Answer me, O Lord, and back. Then the fire of the Lord fell on their faces and said, The Lord, the prophets of Baal, let not one of them slaughter them there of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. 
And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. And there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Thus, the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see your glory. Lord, that we would worship you. We would entrust ourselves to you. And that all the more you would enable us, Lord, to continue to turn from our idols, to worship and trust the living God. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, it's a Sunday uh, peanuts that you may have seen in the past uh, month or so, a couple of months. Uh, Snoopy is so proud of himself. He's carrying a paper to Charlie Brown, and he's just got that look, you know, with his eyes are straight across and a little smile like, I've got this thing nailed this time. I'm fixing everything with this. He hands it to Charlie Brown. It's a feeding schedule, the new feeding schedule. And so Charlie Brown's reading it, you know, breakfast, mid-morning snack, before lunch snack, lunch, after lunch snack, mid-afternoon tea, before dinner uh, uh, appetizer, dinner, uh, evening snack, and then midnight snack, right? And Charlie Brown's looking at it and he says, Mm, oh, I see. Yeah, this is real interesting. Well, well, well. Let me let me give a little compromise. Let's let's make a compromise. And then, with Snoopy's ears just back like this, Charlie Brown says, "You'll eat one meal a day like every other dog." <laughs> Snoopy's walking away. He says, "I hate those compromises." <laughs> well, in this passage, there is no. Compromise, right? There is no compromise. The question is, who is the real God? And whoever he is, he must be followed and everything else rejected. And the question that this passage brings to you and to me, who is your God? What is your God? Now, we are keeping our son chases dog Briggs I love that name for just the weekend Briggs is a German short haired pointer pretty big really fast he had never been in our backyard before Friday and one minute in our backyard became his territory that must be defended at all cost against every bird and every squirrel and every raccoon and every possum right Our neighbor's dog barks at people. I'm in the backyard. He's barking. He hears somebody in the front uh, on the street. He's barking. Not Briggs. He's got no time for people, right? He's working. He's got a yard that has to be constantly worked. He can't stop tracking and probing and inspecting and scouring. Hundreds of surveys along the the fence. Hundreds of circles around the utility building because something either was or had been under the utility building. He's trying to... to tear the siding off the building. He's torn two pieces off the doors trying to get inside the building that he might get to whatever it is. That's Briggs, the German short-haired pointer. (laughs) 
And here's the thing, and this is the, this is the great difficulty we face when we are challenged. Will you worship Baal or will you worship God? Because by nature, by nature, our hearts go after idols the way that dog goes after animals. You want to see a picture of your heart by nature and idols? Look at this dog working it constantly. He can't find him fast enough. That's you and that's me. Either we're desperate for another idol and we're tearing at the doors and sidings to try to get to it or we comfortably bed down with the idol we've owned and trusted and drawn from our whole life. That's what we tend to do. Briggs ignores his food if there's a squirrel in the, in the trees. And just like that, by nature, God doesn't turn our heads. We want our idols. That's who we are. And so how do we, how do we ever choose Yahweh when that's the heart we're born with? But there's the challenge. Choose Yahweh or choose Baal. So we start here with Obadiah, right? Famine was so bad. And this is bad, bad PR for Baal, rider of the clouds, right? You just hear the late night hosts, uh, late night talk shows. Hey, the rider of the cloud must be riding somewhere else. Sure isn't here. And this is where blue, blue skies are not your friend, right? One day of them, three days of them, seven days of them, but not 800 days of them. That's when you don't want to see another day of blue. That's when blue becomes like steel piercing Israel's body until it's going to finally reach her heart. And we're introduced in that context to Obadiah, who's the undercover agent for God here. Elijah's the one up front, right? He's on stage, but Obadiah's undercover. He's got this covert operation supplying Yahweh's condemned prophets. Little underground trafficking, right, of water and food. And you wonder, how can he do it with commodity prices like they are? But he does it. And he demonstrates, really, Baal's failure to provide water. And isn't it interesting, while Jezebel feeds Baal's prophets, Obadiah is feeding Yahweh's prophets. And while Jezebel kills prophets, Obadiah is saving prophets. And while Obadiah is saving prophets, Ahab saves his mules and his horses. In fact, verse 4, it says that Jezebel cut off the prophets. And the same word is actually used in verse 5 when Uh, Ahab says, let's not have to kill or cut off the animals. So for him, it's the economy. For him, it's animals, not prophets. He's worried more about grass for his animals. And he should have been worried about the wrath of God. So it's encouraging that God has his people scattered all over the world. He's got his agents, even in Revelation 2.13, he says, I know where you are, right where Satan's throne is. He knows the dangerous places. He knows the difficulty you're in. He knows the pressures you face. He's well aware of it, and he has you there for a reason. I love the scene in 
Men in Black, when Agent K, Tommy Lee Jones, is showing the new recruit, Agent J, played by Will Smith, this giant screen. It displays a map of the world. There are thousands of tiny lights blinking and little lines of data flashing next to them. And uh, Tommy Lee Jones says, this map shows the location of every registered alien on Earth at any given time. Some of them we keep under constant surveillance, right? And I picture, this is just my imagination, you know, but God's screen, right? He doesn't need a screen, but every single one of his agents. And, you know, Peter calls us aliens too. <laughs> We're the aliens in the midst of this dark world that rebels against God. And there, he, in every place you are, he intends you to be there. Intends you to be there for specific reasons to do a specific work of bringing honor to Christ in your work, in the way you conduct yourself in every area of your life, whether it's home or work or in the community. You're his agent. You're just like Obadiah in many ways. Sometimes people know what you're doing. Sometimes they don't know what you're doing. And isn't it encouraging to know throughout the world, in places you'd never expect it, God has his people. Obadiah is just an example of that throughout the whole world. And I go with Ralph Davis. He says, go easy on Obadiah. He sounds like he's, you know, just scared to death. But he said, it's okay not to want to die, right? (laughs) It's okay not to want to die. And now he may have had it wrong. Like, I'm going to go tell him and you're not going to show up. And, and it's interesting. Elijah doesn't rebuke him. He says, it's okay. I understand what you're saying, but I am going to show up. It's almost as though he said, yeah, you're right, but don't worry. I will show up. It's going to be okay. So uh, I think we need to give Obadiah a little bit of a break than some people do. So we go from Obadiah then to Mount Carmel. And maybe it would be good, uh, as Ralph Davis does, to uh, talk a little bit about the appeal of Baal worship. Okay, What's the appeal of Baal worship? And he gives uh, four things, at least. Uh, first, if that's, the, if that's the religion that's in power, you really want to conform to the power. If you want to play into the power, if you want to be a part of the power, if you don't want the power to be against you, you tend to lean in and go with what's popular and go with what is uh, is in power. Secondly, you go with tradition. Baal had been there for hundreds of years. And we're going with the old religion, the good old religion, not this newfangled stuff about one God. You know, we're going with what we, what's been in this whole area for a long time. Baal's lived in this area for a long time. This is his territory. I'm going with what we know, with what's tradition. Also, think of the relevance of Baal. I mean, he's the god of rain and crops and, and life. I mean, how can you go wrong? You, you want to play it safe. It's so relevant, so basic to the day. And then finally, it's a very persuasive religion because it's a religion of sensuality. Because part of the worship was that you go to the temple and you do it with the prostitute to let Baal know this is what you need to be doing with Asherah there so that we will have the fruitful rains and we'll have the crops. New meaning to uh, men's Wednesday night prayer, right? So all of these things, you see, this pull, this... This thing that surrounded them. And then 
You had to see the glory of Yahweh. You had to know it by the Spirit or you would never give yourself to Yahweh. And of course, what matters is not all of these things, but all of this is a lie. It's a lie. And God, Yahweh, is the true God, the true God that promotes well-being and joy and love among his people. But because of this, because of the pervasive nature of Baal worship in the whole area, because now it was ensconced as the uh, religion of the northern kingdom, it has to be discredited in prime time, right? Uh, open the door for everyone to see it with all the cameras rolling. And the setting is Mount Carmel. This is a big softball that Elijah is putting in Baal's uh, court, just tossing it up for Baal to hit. <clears throat> Mount Carmel was the southern part of Jezebel's home turf, Phoenicia, and it's the highest part of the area, highest point. So it's ideal for worship. Great place for worship. And there's a Baal cult on Mount Carmel. Was this, this cult was well established. And as we see in our text, Yahweh's altar was in ruins. So uh, Baal has already got it going there, right? This is Baal's territory. Uh, Mount Carmel is called the mountain of Baal of the promontory. I like Davis's term, it's Baal's bluff, right? So he's giving this softball, it's like saying, I'll tee it up for you, Baal. And since Baal is depicted as holding a lightning bolt, it's the perfect place for Baal to do his lightning thing. Like getting in the top of a tree in a thunderstorm so that maybe the lightning will hit you. Or, or Ben Franklin, you know, with the kite. This is, we're going right up there where the lightning can hit us. Pale, this is yours, right? So, come on, this is your specialty. You're, you're a professional. This is the time, this is the place. You're the rider of the cloud. You got to take this shot. Pop the sacrifice with lightning. Start the rain bell, right? This is, this is the whole point of Mount Carmel. We're just going to serve it up for Baal. Let him do his thing. And then all the priests, you know, you've got... 450 Baal pre, uh, uh, prophets and then to, to boot 400 Asher prophets and one single prophet of Yahweh. So he says, I'll, pro- I'll spot you 849 prophets <laughs> and we'll go for it. I'll give you first choice of the bull. Prepare it however you want. Just no fire. And so as, you, as we read, they began all morning Long, They cry out, Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. And I love how the author underscores the results. There was no voice and no one answered. And they kept on in their limping dance. By the way, that's really a better translation because it's the same word as what Elijah uses in verse 21 when he says limping between two opinions, which means faltering. But here's the same word. So it's not really leaping. It's, it means lame throughout Scripture. And so it must be some kind of swaying thing. Maybe they looked like they were drunk, you know, in a trance as they were walking around and around. And so it says that it looked like they were limping around. And then 
it gets to be noon and, and he starts mocking them, right? Louder. It's just not loud enough. There are 450 of you. Raise the roof. Surely he'll hear you. I mean, he's a God, isn't he? You can just hear the sarcasm. I love that scene where Charlie Brown is trying to wink at the red-haired girl. And she's not responding, you know, and he's just sitting there going like this. And he says, I'm not getting any distance, you know, for this wink. <laughs> so cute. You see, that's what he's saying to you. You guys aren't getting any distance, you know. You're not making it up there. You've got to be louder. And then, of course, he's mocking their idea of a God. I mean, if you make a God in your image, which that's what idols are, then, yeah, he probably sleeps. He probably relieves himself. He probably goes on journeys. He does all these things because he's made in your image. You're making him like yourself. You don't know what else to do. And so he says, hey, maybe he's deep in thought. Maybe he's doing his business. He's in the bathroom. He'll be out soon. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he stepped out for a while. Or like the voicemail says, I'm away from my desk, right? Maybe he's had a late night partying with the other gods. He drank too much. He's sleeping it off. Come on, you might wake him up. Contrast to Psalm 121 that Ryan preached on. He never slumbers nor sleeps, right? The true God. So they step it up. That's never happened. I've never thought to put this on silent during this time. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, I can't do the conference in Europe. I'm sorry, I can't. (laughs) Right, that is funny. That's real funny. (laughs) (laughs) so it says they raved on and then and this is brutal isn't it they start pulling out their swords and their lances and they cut themselves and still they're covered with blood and the idea is and this is so sad and this really underscores sometimes our view of god Baal doesn't really care to look at us we're not important enough to him he's busy But maybe if he sees us bleeding, I don't mean that literally, but if he sees me bleeding, that's their idea. He'll think, good grief, I better get down there and see what they want before they kill themselves. I mean, he'll keep my statues if they die. You know, we can can feel that way about God that, that... he, he won't notice me, he won't look at me, or I've got to perform for him. I've got to do something for him to turn my way. And the author underscores the results. This time he adds a third statement. There was no voice, no one answered, and then those are the same two, no one paid attention. And so there's a little lesson here for us. Don't play a game of manipulation with God. You're not like you do something And then he'll do something. You'll follow through, hoping that he will follow through. And you're going to obey in certain ways so that you'll come through and bless me in the ways that I expect you to. And if you don't, that's what this is about, right? Bargaining and performing. It's a form of idolatry. As though that's who God is and that's who you are. As though he's not a God of absolute mercy who only deals with people as they helplessly fall before him and ask his grace and mercy. That's who God is. 
It's not a God that we have to impress and try to bring good before him and try to perform and try to do this and that and the other so that he'll respond to us, even to the point of suffering so that he might respond to us. Simply, God of mercy, mercy and kindness. It's so hard for us to believe that. We, we have an idol and it's not a God of mercy so often. And it's, it's difficult for us. And he must shine into our hearts to free us from that idolatry, to believe and rest in his mercy. Well, then Elijah builds the altar and he uh, puts 12 stones to represent Israel. Kind of a silent rebuke to the fact that the kingdom had split and was two, two kingdoms and not the one that it should be. And he speaks of the word of Yahweh, and he built the altar in the name of Yahweh. And, of course, water, lots of it, just pouring it out. And Rowley says, Elijah was loading the dice against himself, right? Be like a magician, and he's in his gym shorts. He's got no coat. He's got no shirt. He's got no hat. He's got no gloves. And he's just standing in front of you, and doves are popping out. You know, you think... How is he doing that? I mean, the code, you know, somewhere they're coming out of something, right? But he's there in gym shorts and here doves just popping out of nowhere. He's putting himself behind the eight ball, so to speak. Like, imagine you're about to start a fire. Let me go soak these things in the stream for about an hour and then we'll light the fire. That's the idea here. All the more to exalt his glory. All the more to say there's no explanation Except God. And so there are 850 prophets to one, but numbers don't matter with God, right? They don't count with God. It was a soaked sacrifice, but handicaps are no obstacle to God. We may be a minority voice. That doesn't matter to God. He will do great things through his people because he is God. He manifests himself in weakness on purpose. He uses weak people. He sets up our weakness to manifest his great glory and power and goodness and wisdom. And I love how Elijah prays for God to make himself known. To confirm that Elijah is speaking God's word. That they may know that he is God. That that they will have their hearts turned back to you. He prays for the conversion of Israel here. That's what he's praying for. For the revelation of God's glory and the conversion of his people. And the fire coming down. And it can, you know, I love, isn't it great how it describes everything that it, it does. It, it took the burnt offering. It put the wood, the stones, and the dust and the water. There was nothing there. Maybe the earth was scorched, but there was nothing there. It was all gone, just taken up like that. And it's, it's interesting that this had happened at critical times in the worship of Israel when the tabernacle was constructed and they made the offering and the fire came down and consumed the offering. And then when the temple was constructed, Second Chronicles 7-1, fire came down, consumed the offering. And this is... A way for God to say, it, it is judgment, but it's judgment not on Israel, but it's judgment on the sacrifice. It's a show of his grace. 
I accept this sacrifice. And in accepting this sacrifice, I accept you. You are in my favor. It's an act of God's grace, a welcome mat, his acceptance of their worship. That he, they could come into his presence and fellowship with him. He will accept a sacrifice for the sins of his people. There is a way back. There's a place of atonement where I will receive you. And the centrality of this altar points to the centrality of the cross itself. And Carmel here, there is grace that's reclaiming Israel. The the wrath is not poured out on Israel, it's poured out on the sacrifice. And there is Christ reclaiming his people. But the wrath didn't fall on a bull or a sheep or lamb, it fell on Christ. All the more we encouraged that God will receive us because he's poured his wrath, he's accepted the sacrifice of his own son by raising him from the dead. Oh, how glorious. The way is open. God is proclaiming to us, there is a way, come and be forgiven. No matter your sin, no matter your failure, no matter the darkness of your heart, here is a sacrifice. He was the substitute in our place. One of my favorite professors was Knox Chamlin. He's passed, uh, gone to be with the Lord since then, but... Uh, Davis quotes Knox, and I remember this, uh, him saying this several times as well, reminded me of it. Ne- he says, God never allows us to leave the cross or to get beyond the cross, but takes us more deeply into the cross always. You never leave the cross. You never get beyond the cross. You're always going deeper into the cross. That's the whole of our lives as believers And so though the prophets of Baal continued their antics throughout the day, the day of Baal is over. At evening, a new day begins. It's the day of Yahweh. And Carmel, Carmel becomes Yahweh's house where he is to be worshipped. You see, this was the third year. It was the year of Israel's resurrection as a kind of foreshadowing of the raising of true Israel, Jesus, after three days. And isn't it glorious how judgment is a prelude to blessing? The judgment that was poured out here and accepted was a prelude to the blessing of the rain that was poured out in the last part of the chapter. And so we see judgment poured out on Christ and then raised to the right hand of the Father and then pouring out the rich rain of the Spirit throughout, our, uh, throughout history, throughout the whole world. How much greater this little rain in a small patch of Israel, but the pouring out of the Spirit over the whole of creation. And even, ultimately, to renew the whole earth. Judgment pouring out into blessing. And Elijah's confrontation with these prophets is is a frightening and and, and awe-inspiring reenactment, little mini-enactment, an anticipation of the great battle that will occur throughout history. And in the end, God will intervene and vindicate his name and eradicate idolatry from this world. Here's a picture of history. Here's a picture of the final day 
when those who refuse, when those who worship idols will be utterly, eternally vanquished. It seems cruel. It seems harsh. But this is judgment day, a picture of judgment day. It's like Noah and the ark. That was harsh. Men, women, children died in the flood. Judgment day is the same. And here is a picture of that judgment stretching forth, manifesting and anticipating what is said in Hebrews, a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So you see, I've got to get past, I just don't know if this was fair for him to just take these prophets and kill them. I better get past that. And I better ask the question, am I embracing idols? Is that me? Have I rejected the true God? Have I given myself to the mercy and love of this Jesus Christ? We must be, I must be rescued from my idolatry. I have to be rescued from depending on anything but Christ himself for my forgiveness, for my liberation, for my meaning, for my significance in life. And so we come to that great question. Who is God? (laughs) Who is God? If it's Yahweh, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Davis puts it like this. He says, it's not a matter of just contemplation. It's not like at the end, well, now we know Yahweh is the real God. What movie do you want to see? <laughs> God must be followed, right? Must be this allegiance by his grace. The question was raised by another commentator. Do atheists feel, smell the implications of this? And that's why they say, no, God. I don't want to be responsible. I don't want to be responsible. If there's a God, I have to give myself to him. And I don't like that. I don't want that. So all of us are tempted to trust our idols, right? We're tempted to trust a new and better savior. And many times in our own brokenness, we don't even realize how much we depend on our idols. We live with our various coping mechanisms for so many years. We have our go-to idols that are bread and butter we trust in. We construct idols to escape what we think are the demands of a God who's too demanding. But here, here, brothers and sisters, in a great way, all idols, not just these idols, but all idols are exposed. My idols, your idols, to be abandoned. And for us to cry out to God, intervene in my life to rescue me and turn my heart like you did Israel. Nothing less, nothing less is needed for each one of us. And there, it's this initial intervening and then continuing as believers for God to keep intervening being, and helping me more and more and more to see how I still have a dependence in ways. That's this work of sanctification, just evicting idolatry in my life that goes on through my whole life. And isn't it encouraging that as God revealed himself so gloriously in this passage, 
What a wonderful sign and promise that he will reveal himself to us. Reveal the glory of Christ to us. If he so wanted to reveal his glory in that day, how much more to reveal to us in worship and to reveal to us in Bible discussion and Bible study and in your own private times, the glory of Christ. Think of this and pray it as a promise. Pray it as a a token. Oh, Lord, as you so gloriously reveal yourself. That's why I think it's wonderful when (laughs) Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, the glory of the old covenant, the, the was was great, but the glory of the new in Christ is so great as to make that not even seem glorious. There's something about the revelation of Jesus to you now that could make this not a big deal because of what you see in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Oh Lord, thank you for the revelation that we have in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your bearing our judgment, delivering us from idolatry. From you, Lord, bringing the blessings of the new covenant. As even prayed for in Ezekiel, not just sprinkles, but, oh, Lord, bring us showers of blessing. Showers of blessing. Lord, we rest in you that you would do this. We rest in you and pray that as you brought rain in that day, Lord, that you will bring rich blessings to your people. And Lord, even as James says, as Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain and then prayed that it would, that we ourselves would pray for the prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. We thank you, Lord, that you are to be sought after and that you are willing to bless your people. Oh, Lord, may we never fail to trust you and expect that you will pour out the rich blessings of our becoming like Christ, knowing Christ, and manifesting Christ in our lives. For this we pray in his name. Amen.